0: an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant.
1: We are in a long journey through the Old Testament book of Genesis. And we know whether you've been a Christian for a while or this is all kind of new to you, we know it can be a bit of a slog sometimes, a bit difficult getting into the Old Testament. It's not quite always as accessible and as clear as the New Testament part of the Bible, which is where we see Jesus most clearly. But that doesn't mean it's unimportant or that we can't learn things from it. I wonder if you're like me, when you watch maybe a box set, a series, something like that, and you see one of the actors and you think, Oh, I've seen them in something else. What have they been in? And maybe you look up on IMDb or Wikipedia or something like that. And you say, oh, yeah, they're in that. They were in that. They're in that. It's kind of like interesting. It's kind of like background, but it's not really connected to the story, the series that you're watching. Sometimes we can have that kind of attitude with the New Testament, the Old Testament. The New Testament, that's very relevant. That's the story I'm tracking with. The Old Testament, it's kind of like background, kind of like, oh, it's interesting, but not really applicable. Well, that's, that's not how we should see it. That's not how we should see it. Actually, the New Testament, the story that we're into, the Old Testament is more like when that series does a prequel or a sort of origin story. What we see then is that actually it's the same story. The Old Testament and the New Testament actually are the same story. It's just a different part. It's just a different section of it. The Bible is one big story of God's interactions with humanity and what we see by looking in the Old Testament is sort of threads and themes that are in there that continue right into the new and actually we can discover some things about who Jesus is and what it means to have a relationship with God through him, we can actually discover some of those things through the Old Testament as well and that's what we're going to do today. We've got this passage that we've just heard and I'm going to break it down into three sections and it's all about having a relationship with God because that's what God does here with this man called Abram. And what we see here is revelation, grace and then response. So I'm going to start with revelation. At the beginning of this passage, what we've seen is God appears. He appears to Abram. Now, when we think about kind of religion, sometimes we think that, well, what religion is, what spiritual people do is they try and um, it's their pursuit of getting to God. You know, uh, maybe the uh, Muslim faith is about uh, obedience that leads to righteousness. Maybe the, the Buddhist idea is that we try and transcend the self to get to nirvana, get to liberation, something like that. Even the sort of more probably the Western sort of secular or agnostic kind of viewpoint. It's all about life is about what we can do, how uh, we can behave, what we can get out of life. It's all about our behaviour. Christianity is very different to all of those different other worldviews and types of seeing the world. Because Christianity says we can't get to God. It's not about what we can do. What we need is God to come to us. God appears to us. And what we see in the Bible is this happens in the Old Testament. We see God appearing to different people. We see it in this passage right now. But also in the New Testament, we see exactly the same thing, but even more vivid colour. We see Jesus, God becoming a human person and living amongst us. We see him. He appears to us. And even for those of us who follow Jesus but live after the time that he was walking around on the earth, actually, we know if we've become a Christian, it's because uh, there's a moment that the holy spirit revealed god to us we we suddenly thought he's he's real he's alive this is this is true because we've we've met the person of god and it's spiritually speaking we have seen him he has appeared to us now in our journey of coming to faith Reason, questions, maybe experiences come along the way. They're important in our journey, but it all starts with God appearing to us. If we're a Christian, we've all had that experience. And that is what the beginning of a relationship with God looks like. We need God to uh, appear to us. Now, we see that in this passage and we see the way that Abram responds. Understandably, he's overwhelmed. It says, he falls on his face. Because God reveals himself as God Almighty, El Shaddai. It it emphasises God's power and supremacy. But the other thing that we see in here in God appearing, the revelation of God, is something to do with the holiness of God as well. Because did you notice what it said there? God says, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. Now, what's that about? Is God actually expecting Abram to suddenly be morally perfect? I'm I'm not sure that's what it's getting at, but I I think what it's pointing to, firstly, it's God's desire for relationship with Abram. He said, walk with me. I want you with me. What a thing. The God Almighty wants a relationship with this guy, just like God wants a relationship with us. But he says, be blameless. How are we to understand that? Well, the God of the Bible is... He's a a holy God. We see that the right the way through. He is a holy God. He never compromises on that. But also he wants relationship with us. And it's almost like he's saying, walk with me. It's almost like, well, it is. Holiness is the pace that God walks at. So if we want relationship with God, God is saying, come with me, walk with me. I'm walking in holiness. I'm walking in righteousness. Sometimes when we think about God, we think, well, God, he's, he's, the, he's the dictator. He's the one in charge. He gives us the list of rules. These are the things to do and don't. And that's how we should live. No, no, that's not how God reveals himself. God reveals himself. Yes, I am holy. Holiness is about who I am. But I want you to be with me. And I'm going to bring about transformation in your life so you can walk with me. Now, just like for Abram, just like for us, we can't we can't walk in holiness we we can't do it in our own strength and so that's why we thank god for jesus thank god for jesus who is the one who comes to us who restores us who reconciles us who forgives us so that we can have this relationship with god and that's why that's what happens in the new testament part of the bible this sort of instruction becomes clearer but the language that it uses there We see it in Galatians chapter five when the instruction is keep in step with the Spirit. It's kind of exactly the same idea. Keep in step with the Spirit. Now, sometimes if we're familiar with the Bible, perhaps we come across that phrase and we think, oh yes, keep in step with the Spirit. Sort of be spiritual, have spiritual experiences, have meetings with God, enjoy the presence of God. Yeah, I think all those things are included in that. But the context of that verse, keep in step with the Spirit, is actually keep in step with the Spirit, as opposed to sinful, selfish things that we can give ourselves to. It actually says keep in step with the Spirit rather than be involved in jealousy, anger, drunkenness, sexual immorality. It's those two contrast. What's going on there? The instruction to us is God wants us to be with him and walk in holiness, not because he's ticking a list of do's and don'ts, no, because he's saying, actually, The way you're walking there in jealousy, anger, drunkenness, sexual immorality, that's walking in the gutter. That's walking in the gutter. That's not helpful to you. That's damaging to you. That's not good for you. And Jesus is the one that comes and rescues us from the gutter and says, no, actually you're gonna walk in righteousness with a holy God who loves you and cares for you and wants you to be with Him. And that's the Christian life. We get tempted, we get prone to go back into the gutter, back into those things. And Jesus restores us, rescues us, brings us back so that we can walk with Him. It's all about relationship. That's what God wants for us. So that's all about the revelation, God appearing. The second part I want to focus on today is the grace of God, incredible grace of God. We see this in abundance. In this passage, sometimes we get the idea, well, the Old Testament God, he's sort of smiting people and seems to be angry. And the New Testament God, well, he's much more friendly. We see that in Jesus. Now, actually, this Old Testament passage, do you notice the abundance of grace that God shows to Abram in this? What do we see? What does God do for Abram? (laughs) A list, a whole list of abundant blessings. God gives him a new name, a new identity, a new destiny. He says, you're gonna be the father of a multitude. You're gonna be exceedingly fruitful. That's what I'm gonna do for you. Kings are gonna come to you. That's how blessed you are gonna be. You're gonna have influence. You're gonna have legacy. You're gonna have land. I'm giving you all this. If you were with us last week, do you think Abram deserves any of this? Last week we heard about just the mess that he made with his life. Just the, when things were down to Abram, <laughs> things did not go well. The, the, the mess that he made of his family life. Friends, this is grace. This is good news for people like you and me. Because what it shows us is people who are failures can be blessed in the hands of God. That's, that's good news. That's good news for us. God is a God full of grace. He takes broken people, people who have not got it together and say, actually, I'm just going to bless you. I'm going to pour my blessing on you. And we see that in this passage, that it goes straight to Abram. And we see the same thing for us in Christ. We don't deserve the blessing of God, but we get it in abundance. We get it in abundance. The greatest thing, the greatest thing that God gives to Abram actually is himself. Did you notice that in the passage? One of the things that God says in this whole list of grace-filled blessings, he says, I'm going to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Again, we see God wants relationship. He wants us to know him. That's the kind of God that we see right the way through the Bible. And one specific thing that happens here is that this relationship with God that, that, that he welcomes Abram into, it's transformative. And one of, the, one of the ways that's shown here is Abram has his name changed to Abraham, which is an inter- interesting thing. A few weeks ago, I watched the uh, the film Dancers with Wolves, which is quite an old film. I don't know if you're like me. you're the sort of classic films from the past that you just kind of miss somehow. You didn't watch them. Uh, and then they sort of pop up on Amazon Prime or whatever. You know, oh, I that. Anyway, it's quite a long film. Catherine didn't join me for this journey uh, of watching this. But it's, it's, it's a film, if you haven't seen it, it's about... Um, this um, uh, lieutenant in the American Civil War and he gets involved with this Native American uh, tribal people. And the title, Dancers with Wolves, is the title, the name that he has been given by them. Because in that culture, Names were kind of descriptive. They see him in this incident and they, that's what they call him, "Dances with Wolves. That's his, that's his name, which is an interesting concept. I wonder if, if we did that. Oh, there goes Preacher's too long. Oh, that's him there. Yeah, but we don't do that. But this idea of naming something after who they are or something that they have done. Now, the name change that Abram goes through, he's go, Abram means a sort of exalted father. So it's, it's a decent name. But then Abraham is father of a multitude. This is part of what God does in his life. He's called, no, actually you're going to be called father of a multitude. But let's think about it. He, he's not there yet. God says to him, this is who you are, you're father of a multitude. And actually the, 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 the child of the promise has not yet born yet. That's still to come. What's going on there? Well, this is what God does. This is part of the grace of God, that his people He names them. He shapes their identity. And it's not about what they've done before. It's not about uh, what they're doing right now. It's actually their identity is about who they are in the promises of God. It's about their identity. Destiny. It's about who God sees them to be and who God is making them. And that's what God does with Abraham. No, you are Abraham. This is what I'm doing in your life. This is who you are going to be. And this is my identity that I am giving to you. This exact same thing is for us, for those of us in Christ as well. That's what it says in the New Testament. Second Corinthians chapter five. If anyone is in Christ, he is A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. See, this is good news for us. Not only does God appear to us, not only does God work graciously in our lives, but the relationship that we can have with God through Jesus Christ transforms our identity and it just sets a different trajectory of all our lives. This This is what God does. Isn't it good news that being a Christian means you're not? defined by your mistakes. You're not defined by your past. You're not defined by what people say about you or what people think about you or have said about you in the past. You're not defined by those badges. You're actually defined by what God says about you, his love for you and what he has, his plan, his trajectory for your life. You're a new creation in Christ. That's who, that's who we are. You know, before I met Jesus... I was Matt Carvel. That's who I am. That's who I was. But actually, in Christ, I am Matt, filled with grace, appointed for fruitfulness, child of the living God, ransom freed, restored, forgiven, eternal life, loved by my Father Carvel. That's who I. That's who I am. That's who Jesus has made me to be, and He wants me to walk with Him in that identity. So often, even as Christians, we we get stuck in sin or we just get stuck in life because, and so much of it can be to do with the fact that we're living in an identity that we used to have or we're living under a lie of something that someone else has said about us and it's not what God says about us and it's not who God's made us to be. The grace of God in our lives transforms us and we're defined by our relationship with him and the grace and the mercy that's found in Jesus Christ. Happens for Abram, happens for us as well. And so in the time we've got today, I also want to get into the response because we see in this passage, God does give Abraham, now he's called, something very practical uh, to do. And, but, but as we get into that, it's, I just wanted to underline that obedience to God, whether it's here or in the Christian life, flows from receiving grace. We receive the revelation of God, we receive the grace of God and then our response to God flows from that. We obey in response to God's grace, not to earn it. No, no, we receive it and then we walk in it. That's why we want to obey because we've first been loved by God. So let's get into this practical step of obedience that that, uh, God is asking Abraham to uh, perform and walk in. In verse uh, 10 there, it says, This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Okay, here we go. Let's get into the details. What's this about? What is this? Okay, just to be completely clear, in case you're wondering what is circumcision, circumcision is the removal of a male's foreskin. That's what it is. Now, for some of us, especially if we're from a European context, this is a very bizarre thing. It's like, this is just... Weird. Actually, in other parts of the world, this is actually very prevalent. Many, uh, much of Africa, uh, much of Asia, North America. Uh, many, many people would be circumcised. This would be a very normal part of life. Okay, worth saying that even uh, today. But it is something that has a sort of ritual, symbolic um, meaning uh, to it. It's also just a very practical thing to say, something that is not actually harmful. If it's done properly, it doesn't get, uh, um, result in any lasting damage uh, to anyone. That's important to say because sometimes we can look at these passages, oh, they want to do this, this thing and it's not going to be good for people. It's a bit barbaric. No, no, actually it's, it's not. It's not. And we might get confused with this kind of idea and other ideas we might see in other cultures to do with FGM or something like that. No, no, that is deliberately harmful, and that is a barbaric practice, okay? That is very different than what we're talking about. I just wanna uh, make that clear. That's very against what the Bible is talking about here. Now, this is something um, that that, that is okay uh, in in that sense, but still you ask, but why? Why would God ask his people to do this? Well, okay, it's a symbol Of the exclusive relationship that God was establishing with Abraham and his family, they. This is in the context of being the covenant people of God, the carriers of the promise. Now, I'm sure when Abraham told his family, "Hey, this is what we're doing," they were like, "Oh, this is a bit weird. This is still a bit weird. Like, couldn't we? Okay, I get the. We want to be connected to God or, or be part of His." club or whatever? Can not we just wear badges instead? Do we have to like get the knives out and do that sort of thing? No, well, the actual practice of it is not arbitrary. There is actually meaning, significance in in what it actually is, the practicalities of it. So that's what we're going to do for the last few minutes. We're going to look at that because there's rich symbolism here that again, even helps us to understand the nature of the type of relationship that God wants to have with us through Jesus. Incredibly. What does this practice speak of? Well, firstly, this practice speaks of commitment and permanence. It's a symbol of that the God wanted a permanent and significant and meaningful relationship with his people in a way that can't be undone. You know, when Abraham gets the knife out, like, people realise, oh, we're not messing around with this God thing then. OK, this is a, this is a serious thing. You know, probably current cultural things if you, it would be something like getting a tattoo. You get a tattoo, it's, like it's a permanent thing. It would be something of meaning and significance. So you know, this is something important in my life, that's why, I'm, that's why I'm doing that. Okay. But it's similar with this. This is a significant thing to do. This is a not messing around thing to do. Something that can't be undone. Why? Because God wants a committed and permanent and even costly relationship with us. To follow Jesus is costly. It's not costly in this way. To be clear, the practical application of this sermon is not to get circumcised. I'll get onto exactly why in a minute. But following Jesus is costly. It's going to cost us something. We have to choose to follow him. And that's not always going to be easy. But there's an exclusivity. I am with God. I'm following God. He is for me and I am for him. Let's characterize our relationship with him. Secondly, this practice also speaks of Humility, humility. Why? Well, believe it or not, in the time of Abraham, circumcision wasn't just like, they just didn't invent it here, okay? Actually, many other tribal peoples would have done this, but actually they did it in a different way in terms of Abraham was told to circumcise uh, his child but actually, circumcision would happen as a sort of rite of passage into manhood, sort of later in life. An adolescent would get circumcised, and from that, they're regarded as a man. That would be how it was played out in different other tribes and people groups at that time. What's going on there is that people are saying, right, this is, this is about our manhood. This is about we are proud about ourselves. This is about our self-confidence and, and who we are. So the sort of ritual and the symbolic use of it was all to do with that. What's happening here is God is flipping that around and actually by taking it from a rite of passage to be a man, actually doing it to your children sort of completely flips that around and say, no, I'm going to humble you. This is not going to be a symbol of pride for you and how confident you are in yourself. This is going to be a humbling thing because you can't do that. You know, once you're circumcised, that's it. You, you can't do that again. That, that, is, that is done. And so God is humbling his people. Why? Because he's saying, I want you to be a dependent people. I don't want you to be reliant on yourself. I don't want you to be so proud and puffed up at the fact that you can, um, you know, have children and, and be self-confident and that sort of thing. For Abraham, his mm. biggest thing in life, his biggest goal in life was to have children. And that would have been common in that culture that having offspring, that would be a, a, a symbol, a status symbol. That's what it's all about. And this practice, God is saying, is not going to do harm to you, but it's symbolic of the fact that God is cutting, literally cutting at that area, saying, No, actually, you need to trust me for this. You need to trust me for your future. You need to trust me for your legacy. When Abram literally, I guess, got the knife out to circumcise his son, he's, I am I have to trust God here. I trust God that this goes well, and I trust God that he has got my legacy and family. Can you imagine? It's easy to say that frivolously, but can you imagine that everything that Abram was, was all about his offspring. It was all about his family. It was all about his legacy. And God is saying, no, okay, you're going to need to trust me for this. This is a faith step. This is not about being confident in yourself. So there's something about the symbolism of what is going on there. The final thing to say really, well, is okay, why? Why why don't New Testament uh, believers or Christian believers do this? Well, it's because all these threads that we've been talking about, commitment, permanence, humility, all these threads come together in baptism. And in Jesus and what he has done. Because now we ask the question how do we identify as part of God's people, part of the people that have these promises that God gave to Abraham? Well, what we understand now, the light that the New Testament and the person of Jesus sheds on this is like, no, no, this is not about an ethnic group anymore. This is not about physical symbols. This all points us towards the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so the New Testament does link circumcision to baptism, but it's in a way that points us to Jesus and his death and resurrection because baptism demonstrates this committed, permanent, humble sort of death to self attitude, trusting God attitude as we identify with a crucified saviour. And the passage that we have today ends with this kind of in or out language, kind of saying you need to do this so that you're part of God's people and you're part of my family. And if you don't do this, you're out. And what we see in Jesus and what we see in the cross of Jesus is Jesus who is in part of the Trinity but He comes to us and he even gets cast out into the, onto the cross, cast out to a place of sin, paying for our sin under the judgment of God, cast out by society, even cast out, it seems, by the Father so that we can be brought in. And that's what this is all about. This in or this out, this relationship with God, it all points us to Jesus. What do we see at Jesus? What do we see at the cross? We see Jesus fulfilling our part of the covenant that we could never fulfill. We can't walk with God. We can't walk with God in holiness in every, in every way. Abraham didn't manage it. He was carried along by the promises and the grace of God. And we need Jesus. He's the one that is fully committed, that died on the cross once and for all as a permanent sacrifice for sin. Utter demonstration of humility dying to self, dying for our sake. So why? So that we can be in, we can know this relationship with God through faith in him and we can walk with God. We can walk with God. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we so thank you for your cross. We so thank you that at that moment you were put out, became sin for us so that we could come into a relationship with God. And I wanna pray right now anyone who is not yet trusting in you with their life, Lord, that you would appear to them by your spirit right now, that that might be drawn in by you, might realize the need for forgiveness and receive it right now in Christ in their hearts. Help us, Lord God, help us to walk in your ways. We pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen.